And Father, we are humbled in this moment. For the Lord of glory, majestic in holiness, exalted in the heavens, transcendent above all things, creator of all things, sustainer of all things, condescended, not just to come to earth, but to come to earth as a man. He had to, if we would ever be redeemed. And so He did. It's no babe only in that manger. It is the majestic Lord of glory, exalted God, triumphant Savior. And so we come this evening to worship, to remember, and even as Mary did, to treasure and to ponder. And Father, would you guide our thoughts and our minds in these moments so that we might think with clarity about this one who is the God-man, the Christ child, our Savior, our Lord, the one in whom we always pray and by whom we always pray, knowing that He is ascended into heaven and has Your ear sitting next to You in the throne of heaven. It is in His name we pray. It is for His glory that we pray. Amen. What do you think about when you hear the word Christmas? What are your thoughts about Christmas? What are your memories about Christmas? And and how are those memories shaping your life and how you think about Christmas? When I think about Christmas, I think about a lot of different things. I think about big dinners. You couldn't grow up in the home that I grew up in and not think about big dinners. Every year, my mother would make somewhere between 30 and 50 desserts for Christmas, and they all had to be eaten, and they were. I think about big dinners. I think about anticipation. What child doesn't think about anticipation? And invariably, I think about a couple of years when I got the things that I was anticipating, and one year when I nearly lost everything that I had desired. That's another story for another day, though. I think about children. I think about our children. We're both born in December, and particularly in the years they arrived, made Christmas to be particularly special for us. I think about marriage. This year I think about marriage and sons-in-law. And the joy of having a son in the family for the first time. I think about sorrows. Regine's mother passed away shortly before Christmas one year, and my mother died shortly after Christmas a number of years later. We've experienced the death of other family members, both spiritual and biological, and you can't come to this season without having somber reflections on those whom have gone on before you. I think about worship. For 30 years, we have been gathering every Christmas Eve and or every Christmas morning and worshiping together, remembering Christ our Savior. I think about fellowship. I think about fellowship at home. 
And I think about fellowship with the body of Christ when I think about Christmas. Thoughts about Christmas are probably similar for most of us. There's a mixture of joyful things and hard things, aren't there? Sometimes you come to this season with these mixed emotions. So how will you respond to Christmas? How will you think about it? And what will you do at Christmas? The story of the first Christmas gives us some examples about what to do at Christmas and what not to do at Christmas. Remember the story from Luke chapter 2? I know you do. We've been reading it this evening. We heard it on Sunday morning. When we began looking at it then, we discovered that there is a progression of the revelation of Jesus Christ in that account. And it's, it's a revelation that comes in three stages. And we looked at the first two of those on Sunday. I want to look at the third this evening. There is first the, the incident of Christ. That's the story of Christ. The incident. What, what happened to bring him about? A, a child is born. The incident is that a child is born. This is, this is just in the first seven verses of, of Luke's account in chapter 2, the basic story of Christ's coming, but it's also the story of God's sovereign weaving together of a variety of components to have them come together to accomplish His purposes. International events, Israel's history, the relationship of Joseph and Mary, all were worked together over a period of a thousand years and more to accomplish God's eternal plan of the Incarnation to redeem sinners from their sin and to bring them to Him. It's a remarkable story, and it's told, as we, as we saw, in a tremendously understated way. That's the incident. There is also the interpretation. What does, what does God think about the appearance of Jesus Christ? That's given to us in verses 8 through 14. The interpretation of the story is that this is the Lord of glory. The angels declared to the shepherds the most unlikely recipients of this announcement. They declared the advent of God on earth in the person of Jesus Christ. He is, as they said to the shepherds, a Savior. He is the Christ, the King, the Messiah, and He is Sovereign Lord. He is Master. Moreover, since there was no one else to affirm the glory of God, heaven burst open first with one angel and then an army of angels to declare the provision and availability of peace to all men in the person of Jesus Christ. Heaven has told us what we should think about the birth of this child. But what should we do about the birth of this child? How should we respond to His coming? Is there something that can be done and should be done in response to His coming? Here we have the third revelation of the story of Jesus Christ. It's given in verses 15 to 20. We've had the incident, we've had the interpretation, and now we have the imperative, the imperative, worship the child. And when we say worship the child, we are recognizing that there are a variety of ways by which we might worship him. And several are actually denoted in this section. Let me draw attention to three ways to worship Christ. The first is in verses 15 and 16. It is to believe Christ. The imperative is to worship, and we worship verses 15 and 16 by believing Christ. Remember, when the shepherds saw first the angel and the angels, they were 
the text says terribly frightened. That just doesn't do its service, does it? It's, they were, they were petrified. They were in terror of death. They thought not just an angel had arrived, but a death angel had arrived. They thought this was the end of their lives. And, and when the, and when they were told not to be afraid, they obeyed. And they were not afraid. And as we look at verse 15, we note that they were not fearful because look at the very first thing they did. When the angels had gone away from them, from the shepherds, into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go. In fact, the text is clear. It's not just that they, they said once, let's go to, to Bethlehem. It is that they were saying repeatedly to one another. It's, it's as if they had gotten tremendously worked up and, and they were talking over each other. Let's go. Let's go. We've, we've got to go. We have to go to Bethlehem and see the arrival of this child. Now think about what they were doing. They were, they were out doing their shepherd task. They were Caring, caring for these flocks, and and they were likely their flocks. It was their sheep. It was it was their income. It was their livelihood. So they had no small logistical issue to get over, and that is, who's going to care for the sheep when they leave? The text doesn't tell us what they did. The text only tells us that they left immediately. The the responsibilities that they have had did not deter them from doing what they had to do. And notice what the text says. In fact, that they went in haste. Verse 16, they came in a hurry. They, they went immediately. They didn't dawdle. They didn't delay. And when they arrived, what did they find? James Boyce tells us they found the Savior. That was the climax of their experience and the peak moment of their stories. They found that the words of the angels were not misleading They discovered that God's communications were not lies. God's Son had been born. The Savior had come. He was there for all who would leave what they were doing and come to Him. He was there. He was there for them. Notice what the angel said in verse 11. There has been born for you a Savior. For you, shepherds, the most despised, the bottom of the heap socially, the dirty, the unclean, he came for them. And they went and they saw him, and they saw it was true. In a word, they believed the message. And we we know that they believed the gospel message because of what they did next Verse 17, when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. They saw, they believed, and they spoke. They couldn't contain their joy of the one in whom they now believed. This Christmas story is filled with people who were close to Christ, but did not believe in Christ. Perhaps the innkeeper, we don't know for sure, but somebody didn't make room, somebody didn't open a door, somebody pushed them away, somebody had Christ or the about-to-be-appearing Christ come to him and he turned him away. 
There's Herod, who rejected Christ. The religious leaders that rejected Christ. The citizens of Nazareth that rejected Christ. But the despised shepherds, they heard and they immediately believed. They acted on what they heard and they believed. Whatever other good things Christmas and the advent of God to earth in the God-men should produce in us, my friends, it should produce faith in Christ. It should lead us to believe that we are sinners, that we are just as filthy and just as unclean and just as unworthy of the appearing of Christ as the shepherds were, and that He has come and He offers and brings and grants and saves those who are unworthy. Those who are at the bottom of the pile can be redeemed. They can be saved. He is a Savior to redeem us from our sin and to bring us into fellowship with Him. My friends, that is the most basic Christmas message. And if you are here this evening and you do not believe yet in Jesus as your Savior, there is no greater time than right now to say, I am a sinner that deserves God's wrath, and this Savior Jesus has come to save me. I believe that when He died, His death was sufficient to save me from my sin and to bring me to Him that I might live in fellowship with Him and live for His glory. Friend, would you believe that tonight? You must. It is, it is not enough to come to Christmas and enjoy the day without enjoying and delighting in the Savior. You must believe in Him. It's the first order of worship. There's another means of worship that's demonstrated here in this story. It is the declaration of Christ. First, to believe in Christ. That's one form of worship. And secondly, to declare Christ. That's another form of worship. The angels... The angels were the first evangelists at Christmas. They were the first ones to declare the Savior has come. But the shepherds were a close second, weren't they? As soon as they heard and believed the message of Jesus Christ, they became evangelists for Christ. Having believed in Christ, they, they could not be restrained from telling others. Notice the text tells us they made known the truth about Jesus Christ. But did you notice in verse 17 what they were making known about Jesus Christ, what they're making known, notice what what Luke tells us, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. Now, the temptation would have been, you wouldn't believe the light of the glory of God that I saw. The temptation would be to say, we saw angels and survived. It's not on the radar. There's one thing that compels them to speak. And it's not the vision of the glory of God, as magnificent as that is. It is not the angelic presence, as magnificent as that is. It is the declaration of the gospel message. That is what is most magnificent in their minds on that day. What they declared is the statement, verse 11, Today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's 
what they talked about. There has been born today the Messiah that we have been looking for. He has come and He is our Savior and He is our Lord. And He brings, verse 14, peace on earth among men with whom He is pleased. He has come to grant us peace that we might live in peace with Him. They were, they were consumed with this gospel message. Verse 20 affirms the very same thing. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, what they'd seen, Jesus, and just as it had been told them. They were interested in the gospel message, the thing that they had been told, and now the thing that has been verified by what they have seen. Isn't it interesting that among those who are among the most despised by the world, they were also the first to be used by God to declare the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Among the most despised people, these are the first to testify to Jesus Christ. Here's an encouragement to us. Whatever else we do at Christmas, it is a season to talk about Jesus Christ. Can we even say it is the season, along with Easter, to talk about Jesus Christ? We don't need to be particularly educated. The shepherds weren't. They weren't steeped in deep theology. They were brand new converts. They were very young in the faith. We don't have to be socially remarkable. The shepherds certainly weren't. We don't have to be educated. The shepherds certainly weren't. We just need to know the Savior. And we need to know the basics of the gospel. And we just need to tell somebody, this is who Jesus is, and this is what He has come to do. There's also a sober caution here. Notice verse 18. And all who heard it wondered at all the things which had been told them by the shepherds. The word wonder, as it's used here, indicates amazement or astonishment. This is, this is the wow part of the story. This is the, as they hear what the shepherds say, this is the part where they say, that's incredible. That's amazing. That's cool. And friend, while we need to be careful about not inferring too much from things that are not said in Scripture, there is nothing in this story to indicate that they actually responded in faith to Jesus Christ. There is no account of anyone else visiting the stable. There's no account of anyone else joining the shepherds to tell the story of the coming of Jesus Christ. It seems clear that, that these probably did not believe I say that not just because there's nothing in the account to indicate they did, but I, I did some looking through my concordance this week. This word wonder or amazement is used about 30 times in the Gospels. It's used a few times of Jesus as he is amazed at the responses of the crowds to him. It's used a few times of the disciples as they consider Jesus Christ and their move to wonder, contemplating, who is this, really, 
that is in our midst that is with us. It's very often used for the crowds and the responses of the crowds. And every time you see the crowds and this word amazement, there is never, never a clear indication that anyone ever actually believes. In fact, most of the time, the word wonder and amazement is followed by clear expressions of unbelief. Let me just give you one example. Luke chapter 11, verse 14. And he was casting out a demon, and it was mute. And when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds were amazed. That's incredible. Next verse. But some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. They're amazed. And then they say, He's Satan. And others, the next verse, to test Him, were demanding of Him a sign from heaven. Do it again. We really don't believe. Friends, these people were proximate to Christ. They were amazed by Christ. And they still rejected Christ. Be warned. It's not enough to celebrate Christmas. You must believe the declared message. You must believe Christ. You must believe Christ. Christ is declared a third means of worship. Verses 18, 19. Worship Christ. Here's the final most important response to Christmas. When we use the word worship, it can be somewhat nebulous. There are a lot of different ways the word is used, but here I'm using the word worship to denote a personal, private worship. I'm I'm thinking about the longings and the desires of our own hearts, the, the things on which we place the greatest priority. I'm thinking about how we process the events of our lives and what we want inwardly more than anything else. I get that from two words about Mary's response, verse 19. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them. In her heart. She treasured by pondering. Now, as we come to this verse, it's important to remember Mary's circumstance. She was a, a young woman, a virgin woman, and she had an angelic, experience, an, an angelic appearance that declared to her that she would have a child. She, she responded, How can this be? And she wasn't struck mute like Zacharias was because. What, what that was, was her way of saying, I will not compromise my faith. I will not engage in activity that I should reserve for marriage until that time. So how can I have a child at this stage in my life? And she's, she's confused initially and then overwhelmed. This is, this is the most unusual declaration that's ever happened. No one has ever been born this way before. And Mary hears this message, and then she becomes pregnant. 
There was no other angelic instruction for her after that time. No one else to come alongside from heaven and to say, by the way, these are some other things that are going to happen to you. This is how you need to prepare. There was no one else to come alongside or no one else to help. Perhaps Zacharias and Elizabeth likely did, but there doesn't seem to be anyone else in her life to help her. Then there's preparing for motherhood. That's, that's a daunting task in and of itself. But think about the difficulty of her attempts for getting ready for that event with all of the whispers and all the talking and all the backbiting that's going on behind her. She's attempting to prepare to be the mother of the Lord of glory. How do you prepare for that? Add to that her attempt to prepare for marriage and motherhood being disrupted by the census demand of Caesar and an unscheduled trip to Bethlehem. And then add the difficulties of having a baby alone in an unfamiliar town, in a stable, in a stable, not quite the cleanliness factor and hygienic factor that you're going to find at the local operating room at the hospital here in town. She doesn't have friends. She doesn't have family. And when someone shows up, it's the shepherds. Really? (laughs) Couldn't we just upgrade a little bit? from the shepherds. If anyone was a candidate for assessment of PTSD or depression, it was Mary. How will she process? And how will she think on these things? Verse 19. She treasured them. This word is only used two other times in the New Testament. And in those places it is translated something like it is preserved or it is kept safe. Mary's not getting rid of her difficult memories. She's holding on to them. She is preserving them to make sure she remembers them. Now, we all have difficult memories, don't we? And some of us have preserved them to make sure we didn't forget them so that we can keep our anger going. Don't don't read that in here. She has preserved them in a different kind of way. She's not remembering them in anxiety or anger. She's remembering them with delight and joy. Luke tells us that she is remembering these things and treasuring these things by pondering them in her heart. That means that she was placing these memories and ideas together and she was comparing them. It's, 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 it's that she's putting them alongside each other and thinking about them in relationship with, with them, uh, thinking of them in relationship with one another. She's thinking about the details of the story and she's seeing how do these things fit together. She's attempting to see the events through the godly eyeglasses that God would see them with. And consider what God might be doing in the midst of these memories. And and the words treasure and ponder in verse 19, they're present tense verbs, which means that she's doing it over and over and over. She's repeatedly going over the events in her mind, considering God's grace to her in what He was doing. Nothing that happened the unusual, the unexpected, the hard, and the joyful. And she had all of those things in her life. None of those things was beyond the hand of God. In fact, all of those things had been planned and prepared by God. Everything was happening exactly according to His plan. 
And she was thinking of her circumstance in just that way. And it was producing joy for her. Mary provides an example of Christian and godly remembering for us. There are memories that are joyful. There are memories that are hard. How will you you remember the hard ones? Especially the hard Christmas memories. How will you remember those hard things so that they become a treasure and a pleasure? You will do well to do what Mary did, to remember God in the circumstances. There is nothing that is beyond the capability, the sovereignty, the grace of God. There is nothing in your life that is apart from the purpose and plan of God. Your circumstances have not thwarted His plan. Your circumstances are part of His plan. Your your sin isn't decreed by Him. It's your attempt, your sin is your attempt to rebel against Him. But my friend, He even uses your sin to accomplish His purpose. Your sin can't thwart His plan. But your sin actually becomes a means to accomplishing His purposes for you. This Christmas, every Christmas, every day, we do well to consider our lives and see the handiwork of God in constructing an elaborate life that will be satisfying to us and glorifying to Him. How will you respond to Christmas? We do well to follow the imperatives of this story by believing, by declaring, by worshiping and treasuring the Christ child, the eternal God-man, the Lord of glory. Will you remember in that way this day? Our Father, we thank you for the reminder from this story, a story that is told with straightforward simplicity, a story that we have heard dozens of times, and a story that is profoundly relevant to how we live today. And so, Father, as we, as we come in a moment to this table, as we come to a variety of kinds of family celebrations and family remembrances, some of us perhaps coming to those events over the next 24 hours alone, would you help us to believe Christ? Would you help us to declare Christ? Would you help us to worship and treasure Christ? There's nothing else that is more significant, that is more appropriate to do this day than to worship Him in that way. We pray in His name. Amen.